0: Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Pleasant Street. My name is Brett Buma. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, this morning I want to formally introduce Steve Martinka as our interim worship leader. And uh, you may have seen the email that went out this week that uh, gave some information on this, but I'll give you a little bit of the the, the summary. So last year, uh, towards the end of the year, the council set forth a uh, transition team to go off and and find a worship leader and they did a survey of the congregation they did uh, a job description started getting that in place and then this year the council started to look at our own staffing leadership needs in light of our mission and our vision and that's going to take a little bit of time so we had the transition team kind of change their search to an interim worship leader make a few modifications to that they went off and uh, interviewed Steve for this position, who was interested in it. They recommended Steve to the council. The council voted and uh, you know, enthusiastically s- to support Steve, and um, Steve accepted this role, so we're grateful for that. He's been part of the worship team for many years. Uh, you've seen him play many instruments. Last few months, he has been uh, taking more of a leadership position in that and putting together the songs. Uh, Litany's leading the worship team, leading us on, on Sunday morning. So he's, uh, you know, kind of enthusiastically and passionately grown into this role. So this morning we want to uh, formally welcome him. So let's do that. And then uh, one other thing is uh, this morning we have Reverend Joel Vander working with us from uh, Fairlawn. He's going to be leading us in the world, in the word. Matthew is at Fairlawn, so we did a pulpit swap this morning, so uh, welcome, Joel. Great to be here. Uh, with that, I will turn it over to Steve. Please rise. The Lord be with you. And also
1: with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. We give you thanks for the hope we have in Jesus, who died but has risen and rules over all. Praise you for his presence with us. Because he lives, we look for eternal life, knowing that nothing past, present, or yet to come can separate you from your great love. Thank Father, in raising Jesus from the grave, you shattered the power of sin and death. We confess that we remain captive to doubt and fear, bound by the ways that lead to death. We are deaf to the cries of the oppressed and indifferent to the calls of peace. Forgive us, God of mercy. Help us to trust your power to change our lives. Make us new that we may know true joy through Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen. And hear the good news, friends. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. To all who confess their sins and resolve to lead a new life, he says your sins are forgiven. He also says to follow me.
2: Father, you took upon yourself our humanity, and you rose for us. We worship you.
1: Glory Glory to to you, O Lord. Son of God, source of life, Bring your goodness upon us. Yes, Lord,
2: Lord. Allow us to live by your life and walk as children of light in true joy. Yes,
1: Lord, Lord. Increase the faith of your church. May it faithfully bear witness to your resurrection. Yes,
2: Lord, Lord. Comfort all those who are burdened and strengthen those who are weak in faith.
3: you
1: God has greeted us with his peace. Let us pass the peace now with each other.
2: Can I have all the kids in Kid Street come up here? God, what is our prayer?
3: Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never never giving up,
4: unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also is with you.
2: Go in peace to love and serve Jesus.
5: Good morning, everyone. My name is Thalia Toll, and I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street, and it's my honor to lead us in prayer this morning. Let's bow our heads. Creator God, we come to you this morning with praise and worship and thanksgiving for your wonderful creation. Spring is here, and with the budding of the trees and the blooming of early spring flowers, we are reminded of a season of renewal and new growth with you, Lord. Just as Good Friday has passed to Easter and beyond, we see this reflected in the new life and growth springing up around us. Thank you, God, for the hope you bring, for the renewal that you bring to this world and to our hearts and lives. We acknowledge that our world belongs to you, God. Thank you for all that you provide to us. Forgive us for our neglect and squandering of our Earth's resources, Help us instead to be good caretakers and stewards of our earth. Heavenly Father, we pray for the joys and needs of our church community today. We share joy with Jack and Faye A. as they celebrate 47 years of marriage together this week. May you continue to bless them and their family. And for those struggling with health concerns, we ask for your healing hand to be on Debbie, VA, and Shirley Y., who's now in rehab, and on Karen S., and on Audrey B., and for the many others whose needs you know, Lord. We pray for those in our church family who are housebound. We pray that you will ease their loneliness, and we pray that we as a church do not forget about them. We also pray for those who are grieving for the loss of loved ones. We especially think of Kate M. and her family with the passing of Kate's grandfather this week. Some of those losses are recent, but many of us still grieve for loved ones that are taken months or even years ago. Please bring your comfort and peace. For all of these needs, Lord, help us as a church community to find ways to meaningfully be a part of their lives. Use us to bring joy and comfort and companionship to their lives. Lord, we pray for all of the ministries we support through our Faith Promise Program. We especially pray for the spalanks in Japan this week. We rejoice with them in the placement of the Werner family who will be joining their ministry team. We thank you for this answer to their prayers that began long ago. We also ask for your protection as they have been experiencing many earthquakes and tremors these past months. For many, it brings back the terrible memories of the devastating earthquake and tsunami in 2011. We pray that you will become a source of comfort and peace for those living in this area. We also celebrate with them the new growth they are seeing in their churches. We also pray for Sergei Sotskin working with Reframe Ministries to minister to the people of Russia. We pray for their continued work to produce online content that points to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And we pray that this message will reach hearts that need to hear your message. Heavenly Father, we pray for the people of Ukraine this morning. We pray for peace to be restored and for violence and destruction to end. In John 16, verse 33, Lord, you said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Even when times seem at their darkest, Lord, we rest in the knowledge that you are in control, and you have overcome all evil, and you have the power to move in every situation. Lord, we give you thanks for Pastor Joel who is with us here this morning. We are thankful for our brothers and sisters at Fairlawn and we pray for a blessing on them and their ministry. As we soon turn towards your word, we pray for a blessing on Pastor Joel and we pray that you will use his words to speak to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts and minds that are open to your message for us today. And as we remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ with communion this morning, we pray that you will prepare our hearts, Lord. Thank you for two beautiful symbols of communion, Christ's body broken for us and his precious blood shed for us. Thank you that you willingly offered up your body to be the sacrifice for our sins. We owe it all to you, Jesus. Lord, fill us with your love so that our love may flow back to you as well as flowing out to others. May our lives glorify you and may we draw ever closer to you. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
4: Good morning, my name is Scott and it's my pleasure to read to you from Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. I'm reading from the New International Version. Um, The heading for this is New Heavens and a New Earth. And if you were to look a few verses earlier, uh, there is a verse that says, uh, this is the Lord speaking. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child, and the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. They will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. As the wolf and the lamb Will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
6: Well good morning friends. It's good to be with you today and to uh, celebrate what God has done uh, certainly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ but also to be together as brothers and sisters here in the Christian Reformed Churches in Whitensville. I always appreciate uh, the partnership that our two churches have in ministry and it's good to experience that to be able to do these pulpit exchanges periodically and uh, in addition to some of the other things that we do together as, uh, as fellow churches here. Um, this morning I'm preaching from Isaiah 65 and uh, Pastor Matthew had picked up on this when I picked this text he said "Oh, you picked Isaiah 1 when you were here for Ash Wednesday when you had a joint service and I said yeah that's right Um, Isaiah 1 some of you were here on Ash Wednesday and Isaiah 1 is a pretty heavy text lots of repentance and uh, judgment and call to sin and so it seemed appropriate to be back here about two months later And to look at the other end of the book of Isaiah and to see God's call, God's promises of pure joy to those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So as I was thinking about this text this week, uh, one of the images that came to my mind was a mug that I find every single time I go to visit my in-laws in Nebraska. And I think there's a picture. Is there a picture of it? Did I bring it this morning? Maybe not. Anyhow, well I'll describe it to you. It's a mug that on the one side has Snoopy and Woodstock. And uh, Snoopy's got this great big smile and Woodstock has this great big smile and they're running somewhere to do something really exciting as only Snoopy and Woodstock know how to do. And then you turn the mug around and on the other side there's this phrase. It says, at times life is pure joy. And Inevitably, I'm there usually for about a week, maybe sometimes a little bit longer. Inevitably, a couple of times during that week, if I go to get a cup of coffee or something else to drink, I'll end up with that mug and I sit down and that mug always brings a smile to my face. Now maybe it's simply because I'm on vacation and some of the responsibilities that I have day to day are sort of lifted off my shoulders and I'm experiencing a little bit of freedom and flexibility there that I don't have otherwise. But I think there's another reason for that as well, and that's because I need to be reminded at times that life really is pure joy, that God is at work in this world, and that because God is at work, because Jesus is raised from the dead, there can be a freedom and a flexibility in my life, my life before God especially, that I don't always consider. One week ago, of course, we celebrated the resurrection of the dead. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus at Easter. The good news is that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, but the tomb is empty and our Lord is alive. Well, my guess is, if you're like me, that was seven days ago. And enough has happened in the last seven days that Easter seems a lot further ago than that. No matter how much energy we put into the holiday and how many songs we sing and and how great the music was and how good we felt in the way out of church that day. Now, I think in some ways this is natural, isn't it? Like It's hard to sustain that kind of energy and enthusiasm for any major holiday very long. Also, in our present age, I think we aren't predisposed so much to looking for God to break into our lives, into our world. And so it doesn't take long for this talk of new life and resurrection to be one of those philosophical concepts that doesn't really pertain to our daily life. It's maybe one of those things that we know we're kind of supposed to check it off the list, that we yes, we believe that. When we say the creed or we say other statements of faith, we kind of nod and say, yeah, that's, we're on board with that. But what connection does it have, really, to what we do day by day? And so this morning, I want to look at what Isaiah says about this promise of joy, this promise of new life that God gives to his people, to all who trust in him, this radical new vision proclaimed by God's Spirit for all those who call on him to be reminded that there is pure joy in God's world. Now some of you may know a few things about the prophet Isaiah. He lived in the 700s BC. It was a time of great international social upheaval as the major empires of the day, Babylon, And, well, Syria was the big player on the block, but Babylon was kind of the up-and-coming power, and Egypt was kind of the old guard, and they're all vying for control of the, the, the Middle East, the Middle Eastern world of that day. And little nations like Judah and Israel are just kind of caught in the middle, and they're getting run over all the time. But Isaiah also lived at a time of moral and spiritual unrest and uncertainty, as the opening chapters of his book, which I mentioned a minute ago, make clear with their calls to repentance and change. And so Isaiah is talking a lot about the need for things to change in, his people's li- in the life of his people right then. But towards the end of his book, Isaiah also speaks to the future in a way that few other prophets do, beginning especially in chapter 40 with the promise of divine comfort to those who are, find themselves in exile, so to speak, far away from home. And we see this morning this continuation of those promises in this chapter as Isaiah nears the end of his his book. And there's three promises that I want to look at with you this morning. First of all, there's a promise of a new sense of life. A new sense of life. A promise of a new kind of blessing from God. And then there's the promise of a new situation of peace through the work that God has done for his people. And together, these three images provide a picture of the long-term joy of the resurrection and the liberation, the freedom that God gives to his people in ways that Isaiah says these can impact, these can affect your ordinary, everyday life right now. So what's he talking about? Well, first, Isaiah opens this kind of sermon, if you want to think of it that way, this sermon with a promise that there's a sense of new life. Behold, I will create new heavens and new earth, God says to his people. Now, it's not as if the old heavens and the old earth aren't around us, right? We see them every day. We see them. God's people back in 700 B.C. saw them. They knew what, what heavens and earth were. They knew what life was. But there was a new sense, a renewed sense, a recreated sense of what God was going to do among his people, Isaiah promises. And then as a picture of that, Isaiah points his people to the city of Jerusalem. Now, for us, this always sounds kind of distant, right? I don't I imagine... Most people here have never been to Jerusalem. It's one of those places you see on the news periodically, and you maybe you've seen some pictures, and you, you've got a few images of it. But but Jerusalem is you know the other side of the world, and, and you know it could be any city that we picked. But of course, for Isaiah's audience, Jerusalem was the hometown. It was the local capital. It was the place where they all went to do business, to anything significant, religiously, politically. Maybe it would be like Isaiah saying to us, I will make Worcester to be a delight and its inhabitants have joy. Or if not Worcester, maybe Millbury or even Whitensville. That's what Isaiah is saying. He's talking about things that people knew that they could put their hands on and they say, I've been there. You're talking about that place being a delight and a joy? And Isaiah is trying to create a feeling in us here, a feeling that we all know on some level. You know, maybe for you it's the thought of kind of the good old days, right, when everything was simple and people's faith was strong and people were committed to each other. Or I think back to when I was growing up, in my home growing up, and I, I would fall asleep at night and I could hear my parents' voices out in the kitchen. And they were discussing something, and I couldn't always hear what they were discussing, but I knew that they were solving all of the world's problems, right? Isn't that what parents do? Those of you who've been parents, you know that. They were solving all of the world's problems and I could fall asleep at night knowing that everything was really okay. Barbara Brown Taylor speaks of our longing to go back to paradise where she she puts it, there was nothing to hide and nothing to hide hide and nothing to hide from. It's a place, she said, where nothing had ever been broken, where there are no chips or dents or scars, a place where everything was still whole and holy and pleasing to God. And that, my friends, is is what God says he is remaking in the world today. But of course the challenge for us is that's not the world that we live in, at least not in the way that we see it yet. Because we live in a world that has plenty of dents and scars and chips and broken stuff. We know what Isaiah is talking about when he talks about the former things. We're like, oh yeah, we're there. If you go back a few verses, Isaiah is talking about past troubles. Past troubles. And all you have to do is to to turn on the news and you're reminded that we aren't quite to where God promises we're going to get yet. The world has plenty of examples of sin and suffering and hunger and death and disappointment and destruction. And there are ways that we can see progress. I mean, medical progress, for example, has limited the concerns of, for one thing, infant mortality that, that Isaiah mentions in verse 20. But yet we know the reality of sickness and death all too well. And the challenge for us sometimes is that we tend to set our focus on the things that are wrong. It's easy to see them. We all do this. I do it. And we get stuck there. And we start to get stuck there. And when we get stuck there, we get stuck spiritually and we begin to ask ourselves, why should we bother with faith? Why should we bother to try to change the world and make it a better place? I mean, after all, It's just always been this way. And it's easy then to set the work of God off to one side, set the resurrection on a shelf, so to speak, and to say, well, that's, you know, maybe for Jesus, but not for me. And to say, as Isaiah does elsewhere, well, if that's the way the world is, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In fact, this must have been on people's minds even in the early church, that that phrase from Isaiah, because... Paul cites it in his great chapter on the resurrection. He says, you know, if Jesus isn't risen, then let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But what Isaiah foresees here and what the resurrection accomplishes is interjecting a new kind of life into the middle of our dying world so that the Christian faith can dare to say things like, when war breaks out in Ukraine, Christ is still risen. When I lose my job because a pandemic has Dampened the economy, Christ is still risen. When gun violence gets all over the news and terrorizes our streets and our schools, Christ is still risen. When cancer wrecks the body of someone I love, Christ is still risen. When I have to deal with the shame and the fallout of sinful decisions that I have made and I don't know whether I'm ever going to come out from that cloud, Christ is still risen. And none of that is to deny the very real pain and hurt and fear and anxiety that all of those things that I mentioned cause. The Christian faith doesn't deny that. But rather it says that God is at work doing something new. Pointing to a world beyond this one. A world which God is restoring, recreating. A world which already though breaks in now through the resurrection of Jesus. A world of new life. And pure joy.
5: But Isaiah also,
6: secondly, considers new instances of God's blessing. He says in verse twenty-two, "No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat." Now, again, we we read this, and and most of us, I don't think, have had people come and you know go through our gardens and rob things out of them, or go through our refrigerators and just kind of steal what's in there. We don't have people knocking on the door telling us, "Hey, by the way, I now own this house." So you got to move, but this is actually not all that of an in, infrequent occurrence in Isaiah's day. This describes how, especially citizens of smaller nations, felt as you know they were in the midst of one battle after another as these empires went back and forth. And there were also, in those days, not very many protections for those who were vulnerable, and so. The poor could work all, real hard all year long and, and, and then at the end of the year, a wealthy landowner would find a way to legally or maybe illegally take everything that they had earned for that year. And so Isaiah is promising all of these things that, that make you live with uncertainty and anxiety, all these things that make you feel like God's not there, these things are going to be lifted. Lifted. It's a reversal of all the covenant curses that are mentioned in Deuteronomy when God warns his people, you know, if you fall away from me, these are the kinds of things that are going to happen. You're going to build houses and others are going to live in them. You're going to plant and others are going to reap. And and Isaiah says here, all of that is being reversed. God is going to turn it around. And then Isaiah again says, let me make this practical for you. Let me show you what it looks like so that you can get it out of your heads and into something that you look at all the time. And he says, look at the tree. Look at the trees. That's a picture of how God is working among his people. And you say, well, well, what does that mean? I like the way that Matthew Henry, Reformation-era commentator, puts it in his his description of this text, he says, A tree, though it casts its leaves, though it be stripped every winter, it recovers itself again and then lasts many ages. And he continues, Christ is to us the tree of life, and in him believers enjoy all these spiritual comforts which are typified by the abundance of temporal blessings that are promised here. So think about a tree. This time of year, the, the leaves are just barely starting to come out, Right? And Isaiah is saying to his people, think about how that is. We don't say in February and March, oh, look at that tree, it's dead. No, we say, well, it looks kind of dormant right now, but I know how this works. I know how this works because every April, there's new blessings. Every April, those buds open up and the leaves come out And before you know it, there's leaves everywhere and there's shade everywhere, and you can see that that tree is full of life. And that, Isaiah says, is the way that God works among his people. The resurrection opens our eyes to something of God's blessings that the world can never take away. Again, it's not that spiritual blessings are the same thing as temporal blessings, it doesn't mean that everything that God does in this world is all that we get from him. But we begin to see how much he loves us when we begin to see those blessings that he gives day by day. And Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 15, will later echo Isaiah's words about the promise that we can enjoy the work of our hands again when he says at the end of that great chapter, he says, therefore, because we believe in the resurrection, this is what I want you to do. He says, always give yourself fully to the the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So I was thinking about this text this week, I, I thought about uh, a story that I had read from Corrie ten Boom in her book, The Hiding Place. Some of you know Corrie ten Boom. She was uh, a Dutch, um, she had been harboring Jews during World War II, was caught and sent to a concentration camp with her, Her she was there for, with her older sister. And she would write, her older sister was always much more pious than she was, and so you know, she said we would do Bible studies and and her sister Nellie would say, you know, Corey, we ought to be give thanks in all things. And she says, but I'm in a concentration camp. How am I supposed to give thanks? She says, well, give, give thanks in all things. That's what it says. And she says, but there's lice everywhere in this building that we're living in. How can I give thanks for that? And Nellie would say, well, Corey, you have to give thanks for the lice. And Corey says, well, as much to get her off my back as anything else. I said, okay, God, thank you for the lice. Of course, not believing a word of it. And she said, and then a couple of weeks later, one of the other prisoners there in the camp with them who was sharing the same barracks said, you know, we've always wondered why the guards leave us alone when we're in here. Why we have so much freedom in this barracks to study the Bible and to talk together about what's God doing in our lives. And she says, you know, I heard one of the guards talking to the other one today. And they said, I would never go in that barracks because there's too many lice. And Corey said, I couldn't believe in that moment how my sister's prayer was truer than either of us knew that we were to give thanks even for the blessing of something that seemed like such a curse. I've heard similar stories right now, read similar stories recently coming out of the Chinese lockdowns in Shanghai. And believers there would say, It's hard, it is difficult, food is in short supply, it's hard to get medical care. awful to be alone. There are 317,000 elderly adults in Shanghai living by themselves. It's hard. But they said, we can seek God's grace from suffering. And when we do that, we means that we'll be able to see the blessing of God breaking through even in these hard circumstances. See, the story of what God has done in Christ provides reason for joy, even in the middle of our challenging seasons. And it gives us trust and hope that like a tree in the early spring, that when all seems dormant and barren around us, God holds out the promise of new life, new blessing, leaves that will open up. And even that which seems vain and pointless, maybe like that Saturday in the tomb, even that, has the ability to reflect the grace and the glory of God breaking in with new blessings and with promises of pure joy. So we've got new life and we've got new blessings. Finally, in the resurrection, God provides a new situation of peace. And again, if you're like me, most of the time when you think about peace, you think about the absence of war, right? And our minds go, first of all, to what's going on in Ukraine. And there's, of course, other civil wars around the world, too, right now. But even though that's part of the picture of what God is sharing with us this morning. I think there's a greater promise in the verse before the one about the wolf and the lamb lying down together. And it's one that I've always tended to just kind of skip over until I started reading this text closely again this week. In verse 24, we hear God saying to his people, Before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. And you hear there a, a, a certain kind of peace that God is promising his people. The peace that comes from restored relationship, and especially restored relationship with God. We experience that, Isaiah says in our prayers. Before they call, I will answer. Now, of course, God always knows what our prayers are going to be before we speak them, right? We don't We don't, you know, pray, and then he says, Oh, my goodness, I I didn't know you were going to pray for that. Well, well, let me see what I can do. No, God always knows our prayers before we speak them. But what Isaiah is saying here is there is the kind of relationship that we will have with God, where we will have the sense that God is anticipating already what we are going to be asking and is ready to answer us even before we speak those things in our hearts. Those of you here who grew up with the Heidelberg Catechism, maybe you know the final question and answer. Way at the end when it talks about the Lord's Prayer and it says, what do you believe when you say amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer? And I'm going to paraphrase here because I can't remember the exact words, but it's it's, that God is even more ready to answer my prayer than I am to speak what I'm asking for. That's pretty powerful. And what God promises is that even though we live in a world where we feel sometimes like we're in the midst of a wolf, wolf pack, and we're under attack, that we can, in the middle of those circumstances, have a sense of safety and protection because we are among God's people. And that scene here, as Isaiah describes it in the last verse of this chapter, is kind of like the Garden of Eden again, isn't it? If you think back to that time when when everything was in harmony and everything... Was, was peaceful and, and there was peace between people and peace between people and God. That's that same restoration that Paul promises in Romans 8 that God's going to complete. Greed and power plays in humanity are going to give way to gentleness and generosity, but more importantly, what God does when he promises this kind of peace is to take away the rebellious spirit in us, in you and in me. And it gives way To a spirit of hope and confidence and trust. That we can come into God's presence for Jesus' sake. And when we have that promise that we can come into God's presence for Jesus' sake with confidence, it gives us a new kind of confidence and generosity of spirit with each other as well. And We can notice here what's most important to Isaiah. It's not the promise of a peace in in the, the sense of our own prosperity or our own personal wealth. That's not what brings joy. And again, I think we realize that, don't we? You can have all the toys in the world. You can have the greatest vacations. You can spend all of your time on the beach somewhere in the sunny south. But if you don't have anybody to enjoy it with, all of those blessings are completely empty. No, what Isaiah is promising here is the restoration of relationship with one another and with God. A restoration that comes because Jesus has paid the price for our sins on the cross. But a restoration that has come to life because Jesus has not stayed in the tomb. And judgment is not the last word. As one author puts it, when we read this text, we may not come away from this with a need to domesticate lions. That may not be where we want to go with this text. But imagine what the world would look like if the anxiety that colors our present existence were to be swallowed up by the victory of Christ. Imagine if our anxiety about how we deal with each other and with God were something that we were to be replaced with the confidence of knowing that because Christ lives, I too can live. And see, the promise of Easter is not just that someday, off in the great beyond, we can get into heaven because God has given Jesus to open up the path for eternal life. That's all true. But the promise of Easter is also that eternal life has broken into our world because Jesus rose in our world, in your world, and in mine. And the joy that Easter brings because of God's restoration of relationship, God's gift of new peace, Those are gifts that we can begin to experience already now in this life. You know, I said at the beginning that we're one week away from Easter. And I think about how crazy that first week, that first and several weeks after Easter, actually must have been for Jesus and his disciples. You know, sometimes I always think, oh, they must have been filled with pure joy. But if we read the Bible text, that's not what's going on. They're, they're joyful, but at the same time, they're scared. They have no idea what's going on. They're trying to figure it out. The women run away from the tomb that first Easter Sunday, afraid yet filled with joy. The disciples see their risen Lord, and, and they're overjoyed. And yet, a week later, we find them still locked in the upper room for fear. What does this mean? Where does it bring us? trying to sort out what does it mean to find an empty tomb and a risen Lord. But as I thought about that, I realized there's some ways in which it's not that different from where we are. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Filled with joy, yet afraid. All the stuff that's going on in our world, all the things that you and I have to deal with in our own lives. And so perhaps it's helpful for us to be able to have a bit of distance sometimes from Easter Sunday. To sit back and reflect and say to ourselves, you know what, something is different here. To take that mug, as it were, out of the cupboard and to read its slogan again and to see the pictures that God gives us and to say, ah, that's what it is. Yes, the Lord is risen indeed. God has given new life, new blessing, new peace. He's shown us that in in making Jerusalem to be a delight and in pointing us towards a tree that reminds me how it is with his blessings and to give me that picture of the wolf and the lamb and restored relationship. God has given all of these things because of our Savior's finished work. Sometimes, life is pure joy. And suddenly, it's not just the good old days that we want to get back to. The days where, yeah, there were good things, but things were scratched and dented and broken. And we really can't get back there. But we look forward to what's being made new what has promised us and all who come to Christ in faith, that we have a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness, and we can say thanks be to God for his gift to us. Come, Lord Jesus. Make our joy complete. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you. We praise you because... You are at work in the world, not just on Easter Sunday, not just at the empty tomb, but you're at the work in the world today, restoring and giving life. By your power, Jesus broke free from the prison of the tomb, and at his command, the gates of hell were opened. The one who is dead now lives, and because he lives, we also shall live. The one who humbled himself is raised to rule over all creation, in which you are making all things new. Father, let us live now in the joy of Christ's resurrection and the eager hope of his coming again in the glory of the new kingdom. Bless the gifts, Father, that we bring now in thankful response for what you have done and use them for the building up of your kingdom, that the joy of Christ may be known in our world. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to mention at this point the giving of our offerings this morning, our offerings are for the ministries of Pleasant Street. And uh, just as we remember that God has given us so much for our blessing, for our service to Him, we give in response you can do that in the baskets in the back, or I see there's even a QR code if you want to give online that's in the bulletin, but we give in thankful response for God's blessings to us. Let's stand as we sing again, 10,000 reasons. Thank you. Oh privilege this morning of remembering God's blessing, His mercy, the joy that He offers, not just by talking about it, by by sensing it, by touching it, and feeling it, and tasting it, smelling it, and knowing that God's promises are just as real as these things that we hold in our hands. And so I invite you to join me as we remember together what God is doing, what God is signifying here in the Lord's Supper. Friends, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is our duty and our joy to give you thanks and praise. Lord God of heaven and earth, because you are continually renewing your work of creation and transforming it to show your glory through resurrection. With your touch, you formed us from the dust of the earth. You raised your people from slavery to in Egypt. You bound them through your covenant on Sinai. And you made yourself known to them in the exile in the pro- and in the promised land. In the cross of Jesus, you take into yourself the scars of our sin. And in his resurrected body, you invite us to touch the wounds of your love. And so we gladly thank you. With your people on heaven, on earth, and all the company of heaven, proclaiming together your unending praise, saying as one Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Forgiving God. Oh, blessed. We should finish that, shouldn't we? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Forgiving God, your son's disciples cowered behind locked doors. And yet you visited them on the evening of the resurrection and breathed on them the spirit of peace. Breathe now that Holy Spirit upon us, that your church may know the power of your forgiveness and these gifts of bread and wine may be for us the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who at supper with his disciples gave us this memorial before he suffered. On the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his followers and said, This is my body. It's for you. Do this and remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he poured it out and he said, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, friends, great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. God of hope and coming joy, in the future, in you the future is bigger than the past. Visit your children when sound of their weeping is heard in your cities. Comfort your people when an infant lives but a few days. Transfigure the lives of those who labor in vain or who bear children for calamity. Strengthen those who build houses and plant vineyards and inspire all who strive to restore communities after conflict or disaster. Give endurance to those who are hated and betrayed until the time when you create new heavens and a new earth and the former things pass away. And you make Jerusalem a joy and its people a delight. And your whole creation is once again a blessing. And you are all in all, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Congregation in the Lord Jesus, the Lord has prepared his table for all who love him and trust in him alone. All who are sorry for their sins, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who want to live in obedience to him are invited to come now with gladness to the table of the Lord. For these are the gifts of God for the people of God. I invite you now to take the elements that you picked up, hopefully, on the way in, and take the cups the um, bread side and peel back the wrapper. And we remember today that the bread that we break is a communion in the body of Christ, and so we take and eat and remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. If you flip it over and you take the wrapper off the cup. We remember today, too, that the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks is a communion in the blood of Christ. And so we take, we drink, and remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. One of the promises that our Lord Jesus makes is that his flesh is real food and his blood is real drink. And when we take communion like this and we remember and we taste the promises of God, we know that we do not stand in this world in our own strength, but that we go out from this place to serve God in the power that he gives and the power of his blessing. And so I invite you to stand with me now and receive that blessing together. Friends, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen.
3: But then Jesus arose with my freedom.
1: serve Lord Jesus Christ in all that you do. Go in peace.